0: I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in downtown Baltimore. This episode, I back in December, I watched the um, Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker um, documentary on Netflix, and I want to talk about it. But as a lead up to talk about that first, I got to let you know, I just got through laughing and rejoicing at two different videos on TikTok. You know, I stay on TikTok. Um, If you're new here, if you're new to this, to this podcast, I stay on TikTok. I used to be on Twitter all the time, but Twitter, Twitter is not for the faint at heart. And sometimes I feel like I faint um, because the wicked, It's just the, it just, it, it, you could spiral. You could spiral pretty quickly on, on, um, on Twitter. You could spiral on TikTok, but then like the minute you begin to spiral, something funny pops up and then you can, you can get derailed unless you are deliberately trying to, from my, from from my opinion, unless you're, unless you're deliberately trying to continue down the rabbit hole on purpose like specifically even after the notifications that you've been on tiktok too long yes if you are on tiktok too long you shouldn't everybody should know this by now but if you're on tiktok too long and i think i think it's like an hour and a half about i think it's probably an hour something like that um why do i know this because i stay on tiktok like what are we doing anyway um anyway so if if not for the funny videos that tiktok pushes to you And which speaks to the mechanisms in place, um, that they have to market to you and you are being marketed to, you are being targeted. Um, let's not kid ourselves on that one. Um, but anyway, like there are, you'd have to deliberately work to stay in a spiral, um, on TikTok, any, or at least from my perspective, anyhow, um, and so right before, well, I guess, actually, no, that's not true. The last week or so, FAMU and UNC, University of North Carolina. I'm pretty sure it's the, 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 the Cadet Blue and White people. Actually, is that Cadet or is that like a Sky Blue? Anyway, it's like Sky Blue and White. It's a PWI and FAMU, Florida. A FAMU um, which is an HBCU had a game together and I guess I need to ask Hubby because it feels excuse me, it feels like more HBCUs are playing non-HBCUs now and I think it's probably because this has always been happening. I've just only been paying attention since Deion Sanders brought attention to my attention to Jackson State and me paying attention to how Morgan State, which Baltimore duh, um, Morgan State and Coppin State have played probably in the last five years or more, non-HBCU schools as well. Um, but I'm sure that this has been happening all the time, but so anyway, I've been paying attention to the different, the different teams, uh, the HBCU's playing the PWIs. Obviously, (sighs) paying attention to the teams and the like how they're playing. And I just don't, my daddy loves college football and um, hubby does as well. I don't know that he loves it more than pro. I think he loves it about the same, but my daddy absolutely loves college more than the pros. And I still ain't wrap my brain around the why I think. The best I can come to it is that, and I'm talking about American sports, but I imagine, or the U- U.S. sports, but I imagine it would be the same. And if you are not from the United States, you're from U.K., I bet you, you got somebody in your family or somebody close to you who probably expresses the same sentiment. <clears throat> if you're from an African country, Asian you probably got somebody, maybe older, maybe not, But who expresses the same sentiments that my daddy expresses, which is something like they're just, they still have a love for the game and it's not work, which I don't know how you know that because one of the reasons why I stopped, one of the reasons why I did not pursue the sports that I had honed my skills and since from middle school to high school one of the reasons why i no longer pursued them in college was because they weren't fun anymore they stopped being fun in in in, um, high school to be honest with you and the only fun that i that i received or the only thrill that i received was literally beating my opponents and then even when that kind of kind of wore thin like if i'm honest with you it so i was in basketball volleyball and track, I excelled in track, and I really just did va- basketball and bot and volleyball to stay in shape for track because conditioning is a mother for you, and it you'd rather be you'd rather stay in in condition or at least semi good condition leading up to track season, so that or whatever your sport is. But for me, even though there was a break between basketball season and track season, it wasn't long enough for me to have to feel like I was starting from scratch. Um, and even if, even the times where I wasn't playing basketball, I was doing weightlifting like competitive weightlifting again, not the same conditioning, but all in, in, in an effort to stay in shape for track. And so at the end there I was more impressed with I was fueled by setting records and um, and competing at the state level and stuff, like the district level, and then trying to compete at the state level. I never got to the state level. I scratched, um, which could probably tell you what I what I did. It was a long jump, wasn't jumping. I was definitely a shot putter, and a, um, are you, could you call me a shot putter? Discus was my thing. Shot put, I just didn't have the muscle mass to ascend to the greats, um, the levels of the greats, but, or at least the greats in, at my time, but um, discus was my thing. And anyway, so I set a record at my school and I was trying to set a record at the district, but I scratched, made my heart hurt because they actually, my, my coach at the time who low key, I believe that man was definitely biased, definitely held some racist tendencies that he, didn't, he wasn't aware of um, for sure anyway um but he measured it and i indeed i think i i think i met the state record i think i met it daggone it doesn't matter but i scratched when you scratch and when you scratch and track that you step over a line or something um you you're out of bounds or whatever so you can't it whatever you did didn't count so your race didn't count if you ran out of your lane your race doesn't count um if you If you um, step on the line, your jump doesn't count, either your high jump, your long jump, your throw for your shot put or your discus. Um, Yeah, if you step on the line, that's scratching, and that doesn't count. And some people scratch, on. anyway, I'm not going down that that rabbit hole. Anyhow, and so, so yeah, I, I said all that to say at the end there, I was really just competing against myself and competing against record holders. That was the only joy I got, and that was in high school. High school. There was no way that I was going to continue, although I could. I could've I could have walked on to the track team. I could've. I didn't want to, though. I wanted to be, I felt like I was, I, at that point, I felt like, I was isolated from making friends outside of the sports and the programs that I was in, which made me feel like I was missing something, and rightly so. Um, and I didn't want to repeat that for my college experience, but I traded sports for cocooning myself in a community that of young people, a specific community of young people that were cultural based, but like we were all trying to figure it out, and it's like I traded one isolation for another. And and I'm not saying that finding community is a bad thing. What I'm saying is finding community and rejecting all other friends, all other types of friends that don't fit into that community is a bit of a, you doing too much. Anyway, and so I said all of that to say, yeah, I, I absolutely did not pursue sports, specifically track in college because it wasn't fun for me anymore, for real. So, um, and plus I didn't have a scholarship, so I would have to work harder than I probably, my heart wanted to, for a sport that I no longer genuinely had a passion for. And maybe that separates me from the people who genuinely have a passion for it and will continue to work. But the thing about it is, I I just, I think I scoff at the idea that my dad thinks that they're still pure. There's, the, the way that scouting works, Your purity and your pure love for a sport is tested in high school and continues to be tested in college and probably 10, 20 fold in college, because depending on the sport, they're trying to recruit you out of college or recruit you to another college. As, exam- as, as evidenced by Deion Sanders leaving Jackson State, going to that Colorado school, and then essentially in his press conference or in, in whatever public address, it's like get in the portal. You, you want to play here? Get your butt in the portal. Also, simultaneously saying to his current team, get yourself in the transfer portal, the portal being the transfer portal, to go to another school. If you don't know anything about collegiate sports, One of the things that you need to understand is eligibility affords you different classification than if you were not an an athlete. Let me tell you what I mean. So most people go, when they go to, if if you're in the UK, university, or if you go to college, whatever you call it, when you go and, and get a higher education, you typically are there for about four years in undergrad. Maybe it takes about five Maybe it could even take six depending on when you switch your major and, and if you start over or what have you, and when you're starting over, right? It could take up to six years to obtain your undergraduate. And if you're, if you take a break or if you go part-time for a second, it it could take you up to six years to obtain your undergraduate degree. But for the for most people, it's about four, four and a half, something like that. For athletes, you have and I think it's either one or two additional years of eligibility, even beyond whenever you graduate. So if you stay in undergraduate and you do not graduate for six years, you're still eligible. But when you graduate, you still have an additional year of eligibility. And depending on how you play it, you might have two, but I think it's really just the one. And I mostly understood that. I think it's, I think that's true in the United States sports uh, collegiate sports system it's true definitely for football players and basketball players I think it's actually true for all collegiate players um, that you have eligibility beyond your graduation and That's, I, I imagine you could talk to somebody who's well versed and way smarter than me about why that is. Cause I honestly, I don't know why that is other than what I know is that some people use that extra year of eligibility to get up their stats, get their speed down. If they're in track, uh, if they're a, r- a race or a runner or run a long your long distance fast, actually it's about timing and track. Um, so bless me. So get your, get your timing together, get your, uh, batting average up, get your point percentage up, um, in basketball, get your catches up in football, American football, well, you know, get your, um, uh, shoot. I'm trying to do the, the, uh, (laughs) European soccer or at least soccer outside of or football for everybody who's outside of the United States. You know what I mean? Um, get, get your percentages up on whatever your good stats, get those things up in whatever sports you're playing. And so people use that to get those, 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 your numbers up so that you can then go to the, go into the league of your choice, um, either as a walk on or get scouted, what have you. And so that is the introduction of business. And to be honest with you, the business side is introduced in high school because you're scouted in high school to attend a a particular college. And once upon a time, you were scouted right to the, the league. I don't know in baseball if you can go, if you're a phenom, if you can go from high school to the league, but I know basketball and football, American football, once upon a time, you could literally, LeBron James was a prime example. He graduated high school and then went to the league. And so anyway, I just, I think my, I think people that think like my dad, I don't think that they're totally wrong because just because there's a lot of business in the sports, in sports does not mean that you don't have a passion for what you're doing. It's just, it's really hard to maintain your passion because so much horse trading is involved and, and business is involved again remember when they were making a big deal about not payola what's the what's the term these coll- collegiate athletes getting some sort of kickbacks to go to a particular school you know lsu was caught up in that um there were there were schools all over all of the big schools i don't know that duke ever got caught into it but the big schools in the united states that have powerhouse um athletic programs specifically basketball and football their players were, um, recruited and sometimes were given money under the table, things, their families were given things, um, so that they would go to this particular school. This was before they were even, they would even commit to a particular school or get in the portal to go to a a new school or be persuaded to get in the portal to go to, to transfer, um, to a different school, which is had a different athletic program, um, they would be given kickbacks and that was illegal. And people went to jail behind that or the very least people got, um, people got sat down in their coaching roles be- behind that. Um, I think urban Meyer, everybody knows urban Meyer at this point, cause he was a NFL coach and I think he's about, to, I think he just got fired, um, from whatever team NFL team he was playing or he was coaching, but his name came up in one of those, schemes that I'm talking about, the, the pay to play schemes, pay or not pay to play, but literally kickback schemes to try to lure, uh, um, top talent to their school. And so anyway, it's just because I know all of that. And because again, I've shared this on the the podcast millions, um, several times, but I'll I'll share one more time. I was very close in college with a star football player, who very much enjoyed playing football, was a starter, very much enjoyed playing football. He was in, he was in that circle I, I, cult- I cultivated, he was in that circle. The only reason why I had, I had two athletes in my circle. I had two circles that I was cultivating. Um, And I had two star athletes, one play basketball, one play play football. And and the basketball one is how I understood eligibility, because even after he graduated, he was still around. And I was like, why don't you go? And he's like, because I'm still eligible to play. And he was trying to go into the league anyway. But the football player. I'm talking about, he was a starter for my college, for my college football team. He blew out his knee or whatever. And so he's, I think he's into sports medicine now. And I think he's making buku dollars because he's with an, a, a professional team. Um, anyway, cause, but that was his thing. But I can remember when he was trying to get, get the, the uh, sign up for the advanced anatomy and physiology courses or what have you, whatever he needed, whatever you needed to take to obtain your an undergraduate. Sports medicine degree, and then he was going to go try to get his master's because he recognized that he needed something else in case this football thing didn't work out because as bad as he was as he was what what do we know about the professional sports it's the top two to three percent, and sometimes the top one percent actually make it of the talented, and so he was talented, but he wasn't being. Naive about maybe not being part of the top three percent, so anyway, he wanted to pursue his studies and really wanted to really wanted to walk away with a degree that he could use should his professional career not pan out the way it did, and it, it, he wanted it to, and I'm glad that he did that because again, he blew out his knee in his senior his last year of eligibility. I don't even know if that was his senior year, his last year of eligibility. Um, anyway. I can remember him telling me point blank, do you know that my coaches are harassing me for taking hard classes? They want me to take softer classes so that I can have more free time to devote to strength training and conditioning for football. And that they had people on, now this is what he told me at my, that was his situation at our school, but they had people, they had helpers who would literally do the homework for certain athletes. And I imagine there are some people that are listening to what I'm saying who are not shocked by what I just shared. And you really shouldn't be because if you don't think that if you're super privileged or you are given, uh, if, if you are revered because you do a certain thing, if you don't think that there are people who are provided to you to make sure that you, especially in the collegiate world, make sure that you, um, get good grades, and you pass that 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 test. You're kidding yourself, as evidenced by students. Let's be for real. Like a student, students, affluent students can band together and get a teacher, and get a professor, a tenured professor fired. Um, what was that? What was that? Was it? At, I won't think it was at Harvard, but it was one a New England, a New England school. I don't know if he was tenured, but he was a seasoned professor. And the, the the these students, many of whom were very affluent, banded together and pressed the um, I guess the university's board to fire him or at least dismiss him because his tests were too hard. If you think that that's ridiculous, and now imagine talking to an athlete because you can. It's it's easy to make fun of the rich. The rich are. It, They're targets, they're too easy to make fun of because oftentimes they're out of touch and ridiculous, right? But let's let's move it to athletes and sports and all the millions of dollars that these collegiate sports make for these institutions and all of the merchandise that these alumni and people who didn't even go to the school purchase because of their favorite player. And this team gives them great enjoyment Imagine the links that the, the, the teams, the coaching staff and support teams will do to ensure that that player has everything they need to excel in their sport. Imagine, now mind you, do they, would they offer the same treatment for volleyball, baseball, as they would for basketball and football? Who knows? It depends on what the beloved sport is at the institution. Seriously, it truly do depend. I imagine rugby players in in college get everything that you could ever imagine because it's a super popular sport. Actually, let me take that back from my from my U.S. eyes. A sport that's probably more popular than rugby and I could be totally wrong it feels to me internationally, it goes soccer or yeah, yeah. Football and not American football, but football and, um, rugby and cricket. I think rugby is more of a European thing, but cricket is like more international. But again, it, it really depends. It probably depends on where you're coming from. But if you don't think that students who are in school in college, are catered to every whim catered to, including being encouraged to take less challenging courses so that they could spend more time conditioning and preparing to be in their best shape to excel in their sport. You're kidding yourself. You know, that happens probably happens more in different places, more than, you know, more in one place than the other, but it happens. It do happen, let's be for real. And so anyway, I say all of that to say it's hard for me to think of um, collegiate sports and and people who play them as this is sports at its purest because I know at least when I was in college what was happening and there was nothing, that was all business. That was all business and if you had hard, good for you. If you had lots of love for the game, good for you. But a lot of it was, let me get up on the next man. Let me get, let me, let me excel in front of the next woman, the next person. Let me get an edge on that next person so that I can then secure the bag as the kids say and excel and go to the league, whatever the league is. I'm saying the league like bas- baseball, basketball, football. But what I'm really saying is let me turn pro. And depending on the sport, like tennis, it's even earlier, boo-boo. You not even, if you trying to turn pro in college, you should have been already pro. You should have been pro golf. You should have been doing your thing in high high school, middle school. You should have been doing your thing then. You're already late. But let's be for real. Most sports, if you start playing in, in college, that's late. So, anyway, I'm anyway, so I, but my perspective is biased, it's completely biased because my own experience as an athlete, I didn't want to hack it anymore. My heart wasn't in it. My heart couldn't take all the stuff that I needed to go through. My heart didn't love my sport g- strong enough, strongly enough to withstand all of the non-fun things that I would have to go through beyond conditioning. Conditioning, again, I literally played two sports just so that I could stay in decent shape and not have to start from scratch for my beloved sport. So conditioning, committing to conditioning wasn't the problem it's the business piece. It's knowing that there's a a scout in the stands. It's knowing that there's always somebody asking you about where you want to go to school, what you are planning on doing before you're ready to talk about any of that stuff. You just want to play your game really well. You just want to do your thing really well. Anyway, so, um, biases really like color the way that we shape our world. I mean, I was I was mentioning earlier. I was I scrolled through TikTok, and I was watching um, two things. Two things got me uh, a video of Famu playing UMC, and how U UN, and UNC had stuck Famu's marching one hundred, their big their band, in a corner, and so but never you mind, mattered not. Um, yeah, the Marching 100 showed out and that's what's circulating all over the internet or at least uh, TikTok right now. The fact that it's it appears as if Fabu is squozed into this little section. Now, what we know is the band is never in the middle of uh, uh, any choice seats in a stadium where they typically are. Even, even if you look at at NFL, the NFL teams that have bands, and there are only a few, the Ravens are one of them, Um, because duh, like be for real, like we are different, honey, and we got to have a band, we got to have a band, there's too much color around here, we got to have a band, I think New Orleans has one, I think, it's certain cities that have bands because duh, anyway, but look at where the band is, If if you Google the Ravens band, I forgot their name, but if you Google them, their seat is at an end zone, but it's on the, it's, I don't think it's up in the stands. They have risers, but they're ground level risers, right? Near one of the tunnels that one of the teams comes in, maybe Ravens Tunnel. Um, but they're not in the stands. They're not going to, they're not, first off, they're not gonna. the Ravens ain't finna lose no money, Alpha, uh, Bashadi, he ain't finna lose no money behind no daggone band. I don't care how good they are. He ain't not finna lose no money. So, of course, you're not going to be up in the stands. But they're literally off to the side of the field, not really ne- near anybody, right? So, I understand why people are frustrated because they do seem like they're squos in there. But, like, if you go to any any stadium, you will find that most of the bands are they do have a section and most of the time they're squoze except when you're talking about some hbcu bands they do have a section it's not squoze in the corner but let's be clear everybody who sells seats to a sporting event is trying to get every dollar they possibly can so it is an outlier to assume if you're talking about pwis it is an outlier for you to assume that they're going to give up choice prime seating to 200 band members from the opposing team and the the um, home team. That's 200. So 100 to the marching 100. And let's just assume UNC, UNC's band is a 100-piece band. They not finna give up 200 seats for free. Are you kidding? No way. They'll give you yours in the corner where it's hard for us to sell tickets anyway. I don't think that had anything to do with the band. I think that had everything to do with Uh, the stadium itself. Now, mind you, maybe it was a little bit shady, but like, let's be for real. Uh, If universities could make their bands pay for their seats, they would. Come on. Come on. Come on. Anyway. Um, But nevertheless, it did give the appearance like you didn't care about FAMU. And so FAMU showed out and they sounded wonderful and then what what ended up happening is at halftime there was like a um a unity a unity between uh performance between Fam U and um UNC's people I mean clearly UNC was showing out but whatever I mean not UNC but uh Fam was showing out cuz they're good anyway but look them up and look up that performance because they're they're. i think it's the beginning of their show or sorry the beginning of it was a it was a lull in the game and as a wake up they played their signature let's go and it the harmonies literally the vocal harmonies as well as the instruments and the precision i mean again you got to go to an hbcu band to get that level of precision, which is why the marching, the Ravens, I cannot remember the the Ravens band, whatever the Ravens band's name, um, marching band's name. Most of them, most of those folks are like the baddest of the bad. And many of them come from HBCUs because the band programs at HBCUs are not to be played with. They're just not. It's, there's nothing to compare it to. Um, so anyway, but everybody in that band is bad. Let's be for real. Let me not take credit from away from any of them people. Everybody who's in the Ravens Band are bad. It's just most of the HBCU bands, they're all baddies is what I'm trying to tell you. anyway. So I was so I, that has been circling around. But again, I'm a little bit biased, even though I did not go to an HBCU. I, my family went to HBCUs. I live near Morgan State. Well, I don't anymore, but, um, but I live in a place where Morgan State resides. Um, I, my Grambling, um, Grambling Gramblin and Southern are in my blood on my daddy's side. Let's be for real. They're marching bands. My brother, my eldest brother was a band, um, what do you call it? Drum major. My eldest brother was a drum major. It's in, it's in my DNA. All right, all up in through there. Even though I did not, I don't regret my collegiate experience. I just probably would have had a better, uh, a, a different, and I probably would have had a better collegiate experience if I'd have gone to an HBCU because I did go through some stuff. Anyway, um, but anyway, but I'm biased. I'm biased, and again, biases kind of lead us. As you know, lead us to the color our world, um, and so the other video I was laughing at is somebody who failed, and who <laughs> failed getting out of his car, and was trying to gather himself on the sidewalk, and then somebody gonna stop, and not roll the window down because it's cold right now. But not, but even if it wasn't, somebody gonna stop because it clearly saw him fall. Gonna stop and stare out the window. Didn't even roll the window down to ask a question. And so the person got real, got real mad. I can't even tell you the username, but anyway, it's, I'm sure if you on on TikTok, it'll hit you soon enough, but it's hilarious because the person who fell takes their anger out on falling on the person that stopped and stared. That's ridiculous because they didn't push you, but nevertheless, I can appreciate the embarrassment of falling in front of someone who's literally just gawking. Um, and not even offering aid (laughs) while you are still reeling from the fact that you literally just fell out in the open. And not only did you fall, but you was, you had a hard time trying to get back up from the initial fall. And so you were just trying to gather yourself when you notice you have an onlooker. Um, anyway, that was hilarious to me, but so, but so I just want to talk about bias for a second because it has everything to do with. Um, the hatchet wielding hitchhiker. And I promise you, I'm not, I'm, I'm gonna work hard not to be boring because this story isn't boring. But this story has everything to do with our biases. It's one, it's a great example of how biases often do us a disservice if we are not aware that we have them. Because biases can kind of make us overlook things. That should have been red flags all along. My, and another reason why I'm bringing up biases is because my hubby right now is doing training at work. He got a promotion and he's doing training at work and they're talking about implicit up uh, where he is in the training, in his training class right now. He is, they're talking about, um, implicit and explicit biases and, I'm gonna hit this and then I'm gonna move on because I promise you this sounds boring even as I'm talking about it. But long story short, implicit, and I'm gonna this is not the definition, this is not the real definition of it. This is just a layman's definition of these two. Implicit and explicit bias. The difference is implicit bias, you're not aware of the biases that you're carrying around and how that these these biases about the, the people that you engage with in the world influence literally how you interact with them, how you think about them, whether or not how you view them in the world in terms of what guilt or innocence, if you're, if you're thinking of it from like a, a, a policing perspective, literally, well, actually guilt or innocence in any, any way you see if, if they're, if they're worth your, um, your pity or if they're worth you fighting for. And I guess there's a difference between somebody who you pity versus somebody who you fight for because the, the, the pity implies that they're helpless. Whereas the fight for implies that they, from my perspective, there are so many, there are so many things odds against them that they don't even have a fighting chance. And so somebody who you fight for, you, you fight for them to have a fighting chance to thrive for themselves. Whereas somebody you pity, they are just where they are and you pity them. And so it's your largesse that leads you to help them. Not because you see them as your equal, not because you see them as someone deserving of your love and support, but that's someone that you hate to see. You know, you want to throw them a bone, but like you don't respect them. They're they're not your peer, you don't respect them the way that you would respect someone you would fight for. And so implicit by it, And implicit bias plays a role in literally how you see people, but you don't know that it's playing a role because quite frankly, you've not had that conversation with yourself. You've not confronted, you've not confronted your own view of the world. Explicit bias is you've confronted your view in the world and and have found it to be true. You know that for, regardless of whether or not this is a popular opinion, you Feel the way you feel about a certain group of people, about certain communities, which is the same as a group. And there's nothing you see nothing wrong with it. You don't mind people knowing how that's. this is how you feel. You don't mind negative associations with how you feel because you believe how you feel is right. Um, so. Yeah. So it's, it's like that pity versus fight for take that. And instead of somebody that you pity, but the, the, it's it, you, the people you pity, you have a name on those people. There's a name for the people that you pity. Um, or maybe you don't even pity. They deserve to be there. You can identify them clearly what their characteristics are. Um, And you can also identify clearly the characteristics of folks that you fight for. Um, and I'm trying to be not weird about this, but I am failing miserably, but, um, a person that is, that is, has not addressed their implicit bias. If you called them racist, they would take great offense to that terminology. They would take great offense to it. And in fact, they would turn it around on you and, um, I'm sure that you've engaged with people who have done that in your life. People who who exi- who are de- living with living with these aren't conditions; these are just ways that people engage. But people who who express explicit bias don't give a dag on what you call them. It is what it is. Their worldview is the worldview. You can't change their mind, and you can't shame them. Now that is a gross oversimplification of those two phrases. But if you can just walk with me for a second, you can recognize how in your own life there might be, if you haven't confronted this already, there might be some, some times where you were a bit out of pocket in how you responded to a particular situation, but you weren't aware of the negative, your bias and how that was leading you to make those, that decision. I pray that you've never been in a situation where you explicitly responded negatively in a situation towards someone because you explicitly... Well, I, I mean, I can imagine if it was like a Nazi or something like that. You know what I mean? A neo-Nazi. You you get what I'm saying? I guess that's an extreme example. And I said I was trying to avoid extreme examples, but you can appreciate where I'm coming from. Again, this is... A, Not a very good explanation, but it's an explanation of the difference between these two things. Why is this relevant? Because this documentary, The Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker, which is the study of an incident that I had never even heard of before, that apparently was plastered all over social media, TikTok and Facebook, not TikTok, um, Twitter and Facebook, there were memes of this person. This person went on TV shows, uh, talk, late night talk shows and stuff. And I not, I didn't hear one word about it, largely because maybe I wasn't a part of that target demographic. Not maybe. I was not a part of the target demographic that would be moved by such an experience. Um, I didn't watch the, sh- the late night shows that this person appeared on. I did not... I wasn't on the same Facebook or Twitter channels. I don't even think I was on Twitter when it happened um, or when when it got big. I So I was really just on Facebook and I wasn't, at that point, Facebook was still growing and I wasn't in those circles. So it's not, and I didn't really watch TV like that. Um, so I would have had to been told specifically about this particular case in order to know about it. And quite frankly, I wasn't. So I wasn't told. And so this was wholly new information for me watching this documentary. But when I watched it, one of the things that struck me, and I'm just telling you now, um, if you haven't watched it, it's the implicit bias that was very alive and well in this situation that led to the strange twist and turns I will share that this this story um, is not for young listeners. It's talking about harm, um, death, um, and but it is also talk. Yeah, it's so it's heavy subjects that might not be suitable for kids. It also um, is talking about mental health, and again, it not again, but our conversation the conversations we have about mental health and our approach to them, half the time it's as black and white as you could ever imagine it to be. And it's so wild to me that we are very black and white in the way we think about things. And I'll explain what I mean in the second in the second part, but this story is wild, like real wild. And not anything that I could have ever imagined. I actually, when I first watched this, I thought it was the story of the person who took the bus ride, the Greyhound bus in Canada, and committed that crime. You know what I'm talking about, but I'll talk about that in the next segment. Um, in the next segment, I will talk about the hatchet wielding hitchhiker, um, which is not at all what you think the story is. If, if you don't know anything about this story, the way it twists and turns is not, a is at least how it starts, is not any way that you would You could have imagined. Um, And if you watched it and you had never heard about the story before, you know that that's true. That that's the the way that the story unfolded is not how it began, is not how you envisioned it. How it ended is probably how you would envision it a little bit. But you couldn't have imagined it starting the way it started. Anyway, um, or at least I couldn't. Anyway, so in the next segment, it's all about Netflix's doc, The Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker, um, and also sprinkling in another um, incident that happened in um, Canada um, that was not similar. It's not terribly similar, but they do have a common thread or two common threads. So more about that in a second. Okay, so the Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker documentary um, was released January 10th of this year on Netflix. In a nutshell, um, and pause really quickly. So if you've listened to this podcast before, you know I think it's weird that um, documentaries have ratings. Like four or five stars, whatever, three stars, two stars, whatever because it's a story, a real life story. Now you might disagree with the telling of the story, but I just think it's weird that you would rate a documentary the way that you would rate a movie like a fictional movie or television show. I don't know. it's something about that feels weird because it's an accounting of real life, even if it's biased. and there's room for you to talk about that, but it's just it's just weird. Anyway, because um, I, I, I guess if I was ever interesting enough to, do, to have a documentary put on me that I approved, or a biography of me, done of me that I approved, I feel like it would be weird for you to say if it was good or not, or if it was like four stars. I don't know. Actually, now I'm talking myself out of that. Because if I'm a high-profile figure, but the story is whack because it's not entertaining... It's literally just a a literal chronological listing of the things that I did in my life. That's not you could have put that in a in a in a chart and kept it moving. That didn't need to be a book. Okay, never mind. I'm 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 back now. I'm back. All right. So I agree that you can write docs now because yeah, if yeah, anyway. Moving on. Um so this documentary, it's got it's interesting. Because if you go on um, Rotten Tomatoes, you'll see that the audience score and the review score is g- drastically different. And I think it's drastically different for one particular reason. And I'll get into that reason in a second. But um, so on the tomato meter, it's uh, 91% fresh with 11 reviews from critics. And forty-three percent rotten from the audience score. Um, and when you go on this site, um, when you go on the site, when it comes to docs, they they they're really it's really hard to get like a critic's consensus on docs for the most part, unless they've been out for a while. So at the moment, um, Rotten Tomatoes has not released a critic a critic's consensus audience consensus statement. But some of the things that critics are saying, it's very sad. A lot of times, a lot of films have explored the nature of instant viral fame. There is always more of the story there. And that is what this cautionary tale is telling us. That's one um, critic, Christy, Christy Lemire um, from Film Week. Um, Also a T is radio station in Los Angeles. Um, another critic says in the end, of course, no one but Kyle Lawrence is responsible for the actions of Kyle Lawrence. It was a feel good story that turned horribly tragic. Um, and this was uh, Richard Roper. Yeah. From the Chicago Sun Times. And one more thing that I'll say, and I'm kind of giving away a little bit of the story in, in reading these reviews, but I'll do one more. The slight ornery, uh, irony with the fable of Kai, the hitchhiker, is that while this film seems to be making a valid point about how the reality, how reality media is all too vulnerable. No, there's a typo in here. About how the reality media is. Oh, I guess that's a thing. Reality media is all too Voltairean. I've never heard that word before, Volterine? Is that, I've never seen that conjugation before. Anyway, Volterine, in its race to exploit individuals, here is Kai, still part of the pop culture cycle. Oh, ouch, actually. This is James Jackson, Times UK. Mmm. Mmm. Huh. Let me read that again. The slight irony with the f- the fable of Kai, the hitchhiker, is that while the film seems to be making a valid point about how the reality media is all too Voltarine in its race to exploit individuals, here is Kai, still part of the pop cultural cycle. I think I'm going to leave it there because that's my point. That is a point that I, this that's a takeaway actually that I had just not, I wouldn't have phrased it this way because I don't know that I would have been able to, I haven't had the time, though I've watched this weeks ago, I haven't had the time to wrap my brain around what I think of the doc itself. I have comments about some of the interviewees and Kai himself, but more so the, the some of the interviewees. Um, but this is this is how I feel. All right, so let me, let me, let me just tell you the story real quick. So. Um, Kai Lawrence, a person that calls himself Kai Lawrence. Um, the way that people use people's real, quote unquote, real names is kind of, um, messed up for lack of a better way to say it. Um, so I'm just going to call him Kai Lawrence. Yeah, call a person the thing that they want to be called. You could still tell a truthful story about a person. No, not that's implying that their name isn't the name that they want to be called is not their name. No, it's their name. Kai Lawrence. You can um look him up to see what the government calls him, but I'm going to call him Kai Lawrence cuz I think it's important what you call yourself, how you uh, how you present yourself because it his presentation, how he presented himself to the world is central to this story. So I'm gonna call him Kyle Lawrence because that's what he called himself. That's how the world was introduced to him. So picture it early uh, 2013 in Northern California or I think it's California. I don't, don't, don't quote me on whether it's Northern or not, but in California, it's great state of California. And an incident has just happened where an individual has hit, struck a pedestrian. Oh, spoiler. uh, Not even spoiler, but there are spoilers here. Uh, But also trigger warning. I do apologize. I will put that in the show notes. But trigger warning. So um, a person has struck a pedestrian and not only struck them, but pinned them in between a pole and this person's car. Two women come up to see if there, if the driver had a medical emergency um, to also check on the pedestrian that was pinned. The driver gets out of the car, still shaking, but gets out of the car and attacks one of the women. I believe he either began to choke her or just puts his hands on her and begins to attack her. There is a passenger in the car. The passenger is out of the car and the passenger hatchet in hand begins to attack the attacker of the woman. So if you're counting... There's three incidences of bodily harm. The first one is the pedestrian that was pinned by the car. The second is the driver of the car attacking the woman. And the third is the passenger in the car attacking the driver who's attacking the woman. One of the women who was trying to assist the driver and the person who was struck by the car and trapped, pinned by the car, between the car and a light pole. That's a whole lot right there. But the reason why we're here is unfortunately not just because of this wild story that you don't even know the background of. You don't even need to know the background of right now to know that that's wild. To deduce that that is a, an interesting, very um, unusual circumstance. That essentially three, yeah, that, that three crimes have been <laughs> committed in a, in a single event, essentially. Or a series of events in a short amount of time. That feels like something you would see in a movie, but that's not what we're talking about. That's what not. That's not why this doc was written to begin with, or this ordered to begin with. We're here because the passenger was interviewed by a reporter, a report, a sports reporter turned. Um, What do you call it? I I used to have reporter friends that were in my circle, like that were close to me that um, would be able to tell me they were true crime, not true crime, but like um, this was his first day on the beats of of real-time live reporting, public, not public interest. I don't know, but like the general news, whatever that, if you're in media, whatever that, beat is called i know that there's a political i I know different types of of reporting has a name right there's the political beat there's the sports beat there's the um arts and entertainment beat whatever that live crime is where you drive here there and everywhere the accident the scene of the accident you report out on something that's happening live that's whatever beat his he was on this was actually his first Day on the beat too. I don't know if it was his first call, but it was his first day on the beat. Having been a sports newscaster forever at this particular TV station in California, anyway. And this reporter interviews Kai. Well, no, let me let me let me set it up right. Kai Lawrence is walking. And he's got this big backpack on, and a bandana tied around his hair. He's looking like a he's looking like he's set to travel, um, you know, hitchhiker, what have you. And the um, and I watched this documentary. I was not going to watch it multiple times because the story was disturbing. Um, but I what I don't know is at the time if the reporter knew. Kai Lawrence's connection to the series of events. And so he calls Kai over and asks him um, to give, if he was witness to the situation, and he says he was. And then he begins to, and not only does he say that he was, but he indicates that he was a part of it. And then he begins to tell the tale of exactly what happened, I guess, I, I can't remember And if you watch this, you'll be able to (laughs) get this. um, I can't remember if he asked him to say, tell me what happened or did you see what happened? But at any rate, Kai tells him the whole story, which is basically um, this driver rammed. Just I I was hitching a ride with this driver um, straight out of... uh, Dogtown, which doesn't mean anything to you or me, but unless you are in the skating world and then you recognize that Dogtown, this place called Dogtown, I don't even think that's the actual name of the place, but there is a part of the, there's a city or a place in California where skating is allegedly, was allegedly created of um, skateboarding skateboarding was allegedly created. And it was built, if I'm remembering it correctly, it was created out of the droughts of the late eighties, the water shortages in California or whatever. And so all the pools were drained to conserve water in California. And so these kids, instead of surfing, they would, they found a way to skate in these pools. And skating. And I don't even know if that's apocryphal or not, but I know there were movies about it. Um, and yeah, so anyway, so Dogtown is a famous place in California where a lot of people who call themselves nomads or what have you, and are just interested in the skating life, the like skateboarding life go. And so this uh, Kai Lawrence is like straight out of Dogtown. I get a ride this um, driver hits a guy or hits a person. I don't know if it's a, hits a person, gets out of the car. These two ladies come up to try to assist the driver. Again, repeats the story that I just said. And so in response to the driver attacking one of the women, Kai Lawrence says, A guy that big, because apparently the driver was, um, a bigger person and, and the woman that he was attacking was smaller than him. And so Kai's response is, well, a guy that size could snap a woman's neck like a pencil. So I get my hatchet and I start, he goes, wham, 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 or whatever in a very, um, a very um, animated way he's describing how he took a hatchet and began bashing the driver over the head with it now in that moment a big red flag should have come up instantly for everyone involved and I can only imagine that bias had something to do with the fact that, uh, that the news reporters bias, cause I'm not going to buy that. You've never done, you were only doing sports analysis before. And so you don't know how to dig for the right questions. You sports analysts focus their, their subject matter is sports, but they're still reporters. You still know how to ask a good question and a good follow-up. You still know when somebody's being evasive in their answer because people are people. And so anyway, you know where I'm going. So let's just live in the fact that this person was traveling with a hatchet, which maybe if you've, I've never hitchhiked before. I imagine you would want to have some personal protection because people are people. And you cannot trust, you can only trust people to be folks and, and to do the unexpected, which could be try to harm you or rob you. Right. What I know in my time in nonprofit, working with organizations who supported the houseless, houseless individuals who were living in in camps in the woods, especially in Maryland, up in, um, uh, what do you call that? Anyway, Cecil County and, um, mostly Cecil County, because that's the furthest point, kind of to the north, a little bit to the east, before you get to Delaware, um, before you get to Pennsylvania, that you can go in Maryland. Anyway, um, and so there are host, there There are houseless um, camps along the 95 corridor um, in, in Maryland, a lot of them in Cecil County, of course, many of them here in the excuse me, the Baltimore metropolitan area, some outside of DC um, that are home to a lot of people who are hitched the, hitched the rails. So they could be from up in Maine, but they're here because 95 goes all the way from Maine, all the way down to Florida. And, and so you can get people in Maryland who end up in Maryland that are from Maine, that are from Florida that got there by hitching. So anyway, but what I know about those camp encampments is that it's often not very safe places for women and children. And so a lot of, um, violence, some violence can happen. Violence can happen there. And so, um, a lot of helping organizations spend a lot of time trying to keep, um, folks safe in the camps, um, and providing resources and things like that. So I understand that if you are a person who is a traveler and you are hitchhiking, that because of the world we live in, you cannot assume that you will never come to harm. So it's important, harm by a person, although you just out in the elements and an, a, an animal can try to prey on you too. So I could appreciate personal protection. And maybe I can even appreciate a hatchet because it has dual purpose, right? You can chop up wood or chop up an organic plant or or, uh, uh, chop up a plant, like a dense, sturdy plant that you can ultimately dry out and use for firewood or whatever. I don't know. I can see benefits for you to have a hatchet. Um, But to pull that out and then to use it on a person, is a is that's an instinct that I don't know that that that's the instinct that everyone would go to, and not only that, but he didn't use the flat side of the hatchet when he was attacking the driver. He used the what you what you call the blunt, the the sharp side. So or the so even the widest part, you know how. Even a knife. Let's just think about a kitchen knife. Kitchen knife. The flattest point on the kitchen knife is literally the side. Outside of that, it's just sharp edges or a dull edge. But it's you got to do it on the side. Uh, they ha- they have a flat edge, so it's as if. And I know you know what a hatchet looks like, but I'm just using the, the like a butcher knife or whatever um, to use it an example instead of. Whacking them with the flat side of it, which would still at least stun a person. It is, after all, metal, so it's still going to cause harm. You turn it to the sharp edge. Like, even in a panic, I would think most people would recognize the consequences in an instant to using the sharp edge of a thing that cuts. And so, so Kai has told this story to the, um, reporter, but before he launches into a story, he's, he says this affirmation to people of any size, any color, any shape. It's like, you're valuable, you're worthwhile or whatever, no matter what anybody says to you. And then he launches into the story He tells the story and then walks off. The police are on the scene, obviously, and begin to investigate, but two things are happening. So this, this street reporter turn uh, this, sorry, sports reporter turned street reporter recognizes that he's got gold here. Again, a reporter is a reporter. I don't care what your beat is. You understand personality. You know what might be a story, a human interest story that might grab some attention, especially if someone that you're interviewing is charismatic. The subject you're interviewing is charismatic. You know a good story when you got one. So old dude, the reporter, got one. He and he knew it. Um, Meanwhile, Kai goes off, because again, he's got his kit. He's got all his gear. He's a wanderer, so he's about to wander off. And which proves problematic, because obviously that was... a criminal investigation needed to happen and all the witnesses there too needed to be processed. But he goes, cause he's a wanderer at the end of the day. And so then begins the instant obsession of Kai Lawrence. He becomes a meme. And again, I never knew any of this because quite frankly, this never hit my Facebook timeline. I don't believe, no, I was on TikTok. No, not TikTok. I was on Twitter in 2013, but I don't remember seeing this because it just, you know, your feeds are curated. TikTok did it best. Well, not TikTok. I keep saying TikTok, Twitter did it first, curating your feed based on who you follow and the type of things that you like. And then TikTok just uh, 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 did it better. But Twitter started it, I believe, because even Facebook, Facebook would just show you the stuff from your friends that your friends liked. It didn't, it didn't show you stuff that they think you might like based on what you've already liked. That's what Twitter did. So I don't know if Instagram have, was doing it at that point either, but it doesn't matter. So it becomes an, an internet sensation and people are making memes out of them and stuff. Um, and making songs like they do, you know, like the, the corn kid, the cute little corn boo boo. Um, so, um, they make memes and songs out of him and stuff. And the piece that they make into the most viral, the, the piece of his interview that they make the most viral is when he's describing attacking the driver. And oh, by the way, let me just back up and say that the driver, I can't remember if Kai said this or it, the story was corroborated. This was corroborated by the two women that went to try to help. But the driver, it felt like the driver was racially motivated to attack, to, to hit, to target the person that he pinned between his car and the, the light pole. So anyway, so that was a piece, but it wasn't the whole, or at least the documentary didn't explore that more. Instead, the documentary goes through and talks about all of the ways that Kai becomes to be more expressive and more weird and becomes an instant celebrity to the point where he's posting on social media where he's going to be in California and people are meeting up with him to take pictures and to fellowship with him. Um, meanwhile, the police investigation is still going on. They do need to talk to Kai, um, because they need to get some pieces, put some pieces together to close the case. Again, three instances, there are three cases. It's one big case, but like there are three crimes that were committed. The actual vehicular, uh, attempted vehicular manslaughter at this point, I believe. And then the attempted, um, assault or the assault on the woman And then Kai's assault on the driver. That's three different things that need to be investigated. Um, And so while the police are still trying to get a hold of Kai and try to figure out all these moving pieces, the driver did not perish, actually. The driver... um, was basically, I think they institutionalized the driver because they thought that he might have had been dealing with a psychosis or something like that. I don't really I can't that, that piece is hazy, but definitely they thought he was dealing with a psychosis situation. And so anyway, so he's in the hospital recuperating and definitely being evaluated and they need to determine how they're going to charge him and how they're going to move forward on his case. The women are recuperating. Um, and the person, uh, again, the doctor's not going into much detail about what happened to the person the driver struck, but we assume that um, in this time where Kai Lawrence is blowing up, that he's re- rehabilitating. The documentary does not mention that the pedestrian um, perished, right? It, 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 nobody, Nobody in this instance passed away. Not Kai, of course, not the person that he attacked, not the person that the person he attacked, attacked and not the, the, the second person or the first person that he struck. Right. So nobody in that instance, but we move on and Kai's getting big to the point where Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel show wants him on the show. Um, Jimmy Kimmel wants to give him money and stuff, wants to, wants to really kind of, um, adopt him in a, in a way treat him as a pet. You know how that goes. Like if you do a weekly show or even a nightly show, you got to keep up the views. And so why not have somebody, a kooky character like Kai Lawrence, who is a spiritual guru or is coming across like a spiritual guru, not maybe not a spiritual guru, but like a, um, a feel good kind of guy who's just happy go lucky until, you know, and he's fighting for justice, but he's happy go lucky sort of thing. And I will stop here to say that the majority of the audience, as it relates to this doc that are celebrating him, are young white people who look like Kai. I'm sure that other people were celebrating him too, because who doesn't like somebody who's happy-go-lucky, who saves the day and then doesn't want the credit, but gets, people want to like him more. But I cannot help that in this moment, again, there's a reason why I didn't hear about this because I, I don't know that I was part of the demographic that was really going up hard for him, because at the end of the day, I think the first thing that would have s- struck me is the fact that he used the sharp edge of the of the but- the hatchet. I don't know that I would have been celebrating what he did. I'd have been looking at it with a side eye, and I think a lot of people. I, and I'm not even saying all young white people. I'm, what I am saying, though, and also that was the year that I was that I got married, so. If it happened at the beginning of 2013, I probably was not pressed at all. Like the first three months of 20, 2013, I'm prepping for the, the, still prepping for the details. I'd just gotten engaged in December. we just gotten engaged in December. And so prep, oh, actually there was a ton of stuff that was happening in 2013 that took my attention. So yeah, I wasn't studying no story like this, and I wouldn't have I definitely would have been studying no story like this once it occurred to me that he used the sharp edge of the hatchet. Because again, to me, if you're trying to stop a person, you're just trying to stop him. You're trying to stun him. Most people, again, the metal itself—it's hard enough, gonna cause enough damage. Why would you? I don't know. Again, split uh, spur of the moment. Thinking is different than calm, relaxed thinking. I just don't think most people would use the sharp edge. I don't even think most people would pull out the hatchet. I think most people would try to tackle him or something else. I don't know that most people would go for the hatchet in their bag. Of all the things you got, that's what you go for. But again, I've never traveled like that. I've never served in the military. I've never been engaged in hand-to-hand combat or whatever, so I don't know. Maybe my thought process about it is too rosy. I just feel very strongly that most of the the people I know who have served in the military or folks who have just been out there in the streets, I just don't know that they would use a sharp edge unless they intended to use a sharp edge. But that's that's just me. Anyway, um, like most people in their right mind would just work to subdue, not to do more work. But whatever. Maybe civilians don't think because people notoriously don't think. in... anyway, I'm kind of talking over myself. Anyway, let me let me hasten on. So he's becoming a sensation. Early part of uh, of. Um, the year in twenty thirteen, but by April things change because by April the police force him to come in to cry to describe the situation, exactly what happened, because why am I why am I over here chasing you? You were literally the witness to a crime. You said that you saved a woman from being seriously harmed by this man, I'm going to need you to come in so we can close up, we can button up these cases here, right? So the, the doc takes a turn when we learn a couple of things. First thing, we learned that Kai instructed the driver, either instructed or drugged the driver, either instructed him to take this particular drug and lied to him about what it was, or after smoking or or doing whatever drug of their choice, he slipped this other drug in there that made the driver hallucinate, and then he began to whisper subliminals or at least tell him what to do. So the driver, after he wakes up from what what the authorities, I guess, thought was a psychosis event, was really him just coming down from the drugs that he took or were administered to him by Kai. He alleges that Kai told him to hit the pedestrian. And he was high out of his mind when he was attacking the woman. Now that seems awful convenient. Real convenient, except of, of course Kai does not corroborate that. It's literally the driver's word against Kai. And right now the 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 situation ain't on your side because the only story we have out there is that Kai saved that woman from you who had already attacked another person. And so that, that driver of course got convicted, but the police were like, Hmm, like obviously the turn of events is not, he just got instantly convicted. And then they started talking to Kai. They knew what they were going to charge him with and were working through those proceedings, but they needed more information. From Kai because they weren't sure about his story. And again, while they don't totally believe the driver's story, they think that there's some pieces in there. Kai had more to do with it than what he's suggesting. It wasn't just this heroic passenger who sat idly by why this, like helplessly by, why the driver attacked this pedestrian and then um attacked the driver and then walked off. There's more to it than that. Well, come to find out, again, there's this allegation from the driver that Kai drugged him. But then also we learn and and interspersed in this documentary, um, Kai's foster mom talks about how Kai had behavioral health concerns um, when he was younger and that um, he wasn't often medicated for the condition that he was living with. Um, as he got older, and he was very hard to, he was a challenge. Um, but nevertheless, someone that was worth her love, but he was just a challenge sometimes, and he had fanciful tales. He told fanciful tales, um, and he was just a handful sometimes. Now, meanwhile, as we're hearing from the foster parents about um, how much of a handful Kai was as he was growing... We also see the comedy of errors that is Jimmy Kimmel trying to attach himself to Kai because Kai was completely unreliable. Also Kai was just doing creepy, gross, disgusting things like defecating, well, I don't know if he's defecating, but definitely urinating in public um, and just doing just wild stuff that is just disgusting. And so anyway, so they're trying to work with him and it's becoming increasingly difficult to work with him. And by the time they finally realized that he can't go on the show no more, they were going to try to give this man a reality TV series and a regular, a regular um, role on the Jimmy Kimmel show. And that just goes to, goes to show you again, at the end of the day, you got a weekly show. You always trying to find some, some news which means you always got to, you got to, it, it would behoove you to find somebody who would be, who could be your patsy, who you could have and, and kind of be something like a mass mascot for your show. Now, all you have to do is think about your favorite late night TV show and ask me, think, think to yourself, does that show host have a mascot, someone that, that they use for comic relief at the expense of that person? I'm sure the answer will be yes. And that's exactly what Jimmy Kimmel was trying to do. I'm sure they ultimately got some other person to be their patsy, but that's what they were trying to do to Kai. Only Kai was not cooperating um, because he was not um, well. More than that, Um, Again, these producers, again, who saw Cash Cow, let's not, the doc glosses over it, but this is what it is. They talk to these people and say, oh, we just didn't know. We thought he was so charismatic. No, you thought he was going to get you some views and ratings so that it would ultimately put some money in your pocket. And you wanted to make him your pet project. Having done no research, having done no evaluations, you wanted to make him a pet project. He told you from jump, He, he wanted to be out there. He wanted to be, there's a reason why he walked away from the scene after, um, he was interviewed. There's a reason why he was, didn't want to be kept, um, he kept refusing Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel's help and the help of the producers who were trying to mold him into this reality TV star. Again, all for profit, absolute vultures. But in this context, they were, they were so money hungry. They were so hungry to get that next big thing. They were so, and again, let me be clear. Let me back up. This was a young, not homely, I guess probably handsome to a lot of people, but he wasn't ugly, just average looking, young, average looking white man who seemed harmless. And that's where the bias piece comes in. Seemed completely harmless, except for the fact that he used a freaking hatchet, the blunt, the, the sharp end of a hatchet to subdue a person. We missed that completely from the jump. He told you what he did from the jump. And here you go, try to make feel good stories about him and follow him around. Girl, they, they interviewed him and they, and they caught up uh, like a B-roll of him playing music and stuff and interviewing him. And, and he wasn't making any sense when he's being interviewed, which should have been their first clue that maybe they need to take a step back and not try to use this person, but to try to get this person some help. They only realize, and I'm talking about the producers. When you watch this thing, you'll know that there were TV producers that were um, following him and trying to, make, trying to make gold out of this hay. Anyway, um, it was only after they embar- he embarrassed the heck out of them showed his entire behind that they were like, oh, something's wrong. And this is after series of multiple times. Cause up until this point, he thought they were, they thought he was kooky. And then they turned him loose. Cause at this point the police were interested. So the police get him into the station. Not only do they poke holes in this account of the, um, the hitchhiking, incident the or the incident where the instance where he bummed a ride off his dude, and then he hit the pedestrian and and the poke holes in how he struck him or at least how we got to that point. They also in this process come to realize Kai was actually from the east coast. Kai was from the east coast because that's where his adoptive people were for a family was. And they got this man on tape, finessing an older, like a 70-plus man. And not only that, but the 70-plus man comes up dead. And he comes up dead having less than an hour before, or maybe a day or before, hugged up with Kai. What they know is that the person came into the home, gained entry into the home, knew how to get in, knew where old dude was going to be, struck him, took his life, don't know if he robbed him of any property, but bonked out. He actually, he might've robbed him of property and bonked out. Put the pieces together, working with, so this California department worked with this New Jersey department. And I don't even understand exactly how this worked, because you and I both know that in the American justice system, um, police departments next door to each other, from one county to the next don't hardly work well together, let alone police departments on one side of the country to another, but we get there, because I, I think at this point, the FBI at one point is involved. Long story short, Kai is is alleged to have taken the life of a 70 plus year old who wanted to help him, like these TV producers really just felt like he just needed some support and some help. And he did need some help and support, just not in the right way. Not in that way. And so this documentary explores how opportunistic the, the, the TV producers were in trying to catch the wave and how quickly the internet just obsesses over a person without doing any due diligence. But what we know about the Internet right now is, baby, due diligence is, is sped up. It doesn't sped up. You can be an overnight sensation on Monday, and then by uh, Wednesday, everything did been found out and coming to the surface. By Friday, you ain't no sensation. You are the Internet's bully, or you are the Internet's um, uh, whipping post because they didn't expose you to be the villain. As evidenced by the TV, uh, she calls herself a TV producer that went after Ke- uh, Kevin Lee, you know the 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 guy, the feel-good guy on TikTok that um, does the food rev- food reviews, and he talks about his own wellness and depression and and the struggle, his own struggles in the past with money and being a father. And his wife is on TikTok too, and she does reviews that he can't do because he's allergic to shellfish, and so she do those uh, food reviews while he does the food reviews of other places um, and their food. And the whole benefit, he does not charge these people to do these reviews. He's doing it. He's doing it for these mom and pop businesses that make fire food, but don't have the traction to really keep afloat. And so he has, through all the massive followers that he's he's um, gotten and even other big content creators and stars and stuff, Who follow him also take his, you know, take his heed his word and go visit these mom and pop stores and they blow up. Right. And, you know, all these haters are like, you know, it's just instant fame. And you're right. There's going to be a a surge for the first couple of weeks, even a month, and then it slows down. But I guarantee you that business going to stay up, especially if the food stay good. It might not be what it was when it was an internet sensation, but it's going to be good for a long time. That business is going to be better than what it was. Anyway, so like this woman, uh, it goes after him and and, and implies she, and, and here's how she do it. She implies, and they do it all the time. She implies that a big food creator who everybody loves, stole an idea from her, but she never names the person. People go in her comments. And as she's getting more views and engagement, they're naming Ke- uh, Kevin Lee or Keith. No, sorry, Keith Lee. But um, she's liking the comments, but she's neither confirming nor denying. So, of course, after two days, Keith responds to her, makes it a response video. And it's like, girl, I don't know who we met one time and I pitched you an idea. And then, of course, after having said nothing for two days, she responds directly to Keith talking about you did pitched me the idea. I don't even know why you would think that I was talking about you. Just sorry, right? And so instantly she becomes a villain. And that thing happened within three days. She she went from, first off, people was looking at her side eye anyway. And then when Keith responded, oh, it was all over from there. So the internet moves quickly, but it moves more quickly. So then, then maybe it did in 2013, but so the, the doc is talking about how raggedy and reckless the internet and these producers were and how we're all kind of complicit. I'm saying based on I, the, the documentary, the people who created the documentary and the people who, um, the people who, the, the, the very first reporter, the sports reporter turned um, live reporter. First off, y'all didn't, the documentary folks didn't focus on the right things. They didn't tease out the right information. Again, I have no idea from that documentary what happened to the, to the pedestrian that, that the driver struck. Don't know. Don't know what the heck happened to the woman that the driver began to assault. Don't know. Um, I'm sure they might have had a little disclaimer, but I missed it. It wasn't big enough in the story for me. Didn't hear from them. Wasn't, wasn't big enough. Uh, talk, anyone talking about their account? Nothing. But we spent a lot of time hearing from the, the initial TV reporter that's, in, or the, or, you know, his first day being a, um, a, a breaking news reporter, talking about how and getting a call from Kai. During the time where he was being interviewed in one of the sessions, but not believing, not choosing not to believe that either Kai did it or the fact that the Kai that he knows wouldn't do that, which is the biggest exercise in denial I have ever, one of them that I've ever witnessed. This man is currently sitting in prison, Kai is, I think in Jersey for killing a 70 something year old man and you sitting up here saying well the guy i met was lovable and kind of talking about he didn't do it and he, he's being railroaded now mind you i don't want this to be one of those things where like oh he's just crazy because mental health conditions don't mental health conditions themselves don't make you into criminals being uh, our response to people not being medicated there are other different there it's too complex for that it's uh, this person probably needed to be medicated but his his propensity for violence probably didn't have anything to do with his mental health condition I'm not a clinician, so I can't speak for 100%. I'm just talking from my perspective. Regardless of how you feel about the person you met and how much love you had generated for the person that you met, the reality should trump that baby. And you need to live in that and sit with it. And I just think they spent way too much time on that reporter in the doc. So overall, I do agree that I the, the audience... The audience, I agree with the audience score. This was 40-something at best, worth of a doc. And I understand why the critics respond, uh, responded to it because it was like a critical analysis of Twitter and, and, um, and uh, social media and our zeal to create good guys and then w- without vetting them properly. And I, I can imagine that that's a story that people love to hear about because we don't talk about it enough. But at the end of the day, these, the documentary folks really let down the viewer and the other people that are a party to the story. We heard from Kai's adoptive parents. We heard from the neighbor of this 70-something-year-old man that Kai, whose life Kai took. We did not hear from the, people that, the other people that Kai attacked. We heard from police and their accounting and it was almost comical too. So anyway, all, I say all of this to say, this story is wild. It was told recklessly from my perspective. It does not go far enough. And at the end of the day, I think this is, has everything to do with the fact that we love to prop up, quote unquote, innocent, harmless white people or innocent, harmless people because we want a good guy but we don't want to put in the work to make sure that we're recognizing the humanity of that person. And also that story shouldn't have been a feel good to begin with because he used the, the hatchet, the hatchet. And folks just ran with it and then made memes about him attacking somebody with a hatchet. Wow. Whew. Anyway. um. So that's the, That's that. Um, I don't really have a good way to end this other than to say, um, yeah, this episode um, is a day late. I'm releasing it a day late because life. I had the pleasure of uh, doing a tour of my office, um, the place where I work, and then leading a meeting of a coalition of community organizations who are supremely interested in making Baltimore a better place um, and helping the people that live here. So I was glad to do it. Then I went on a, another meeting from um, um, the Greek organization that I'm with um, and shared out information trying to get people to come and donate items for our activities for young people that we're trying to support. And then I went on, uh, I had a meeting after that for... Um, an event that one of my organizations is hosting or being a part of to help yet even more people um, to get resources that they need. And an off peak time, like February, people don't often donate enough in February. And so I'm glad to be a part of things that are collection drives that are helping. You know, I'm Black Greek. Um, I'm a member of Black Greek. I'm a member of Sigmund and Incorporated. So um, and all the divine nine, it, what people miss when they're too busy looking at how cute they look in their outfit and how well they stroll is that the whole point of those is to work together to help the community. This is all about bettering the community with a focus on black folks in the diaspora and people adjacent to it. Cause we want to help our whole community. When we help our whole community, we help our, we help our, um, and we, we help our kinfolk anyhow, but, um, I'm glad to do that. And then after I got off the phone with that, I was, uh, talking with a soror who's about to have a surgery, um, and helping her to get her plan together. So yesterday was just a busy day. I'm also doing reporting at my job, um, to just report season at my job. So that was just not going to work out. Um, I'm also writing a script for a commercial for one of the Activities that I'm participating in, which I've never done before, which is pretty cool. Put that on my resume. Um, anyway, so busy, been busy. So thank you, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this with someone that you think might dig it. Um, I'm don't know what I'm going to be reviewing. And ge- well, actually, I do know what I'm going to review next next week. And I don't know if I'm going to be mad about it or not. But um, in February, I'm definitely going to talk about um, MLK. Well, um, not MLK, but, um, I'm definitely going to talk about, um, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, um, Malcolm X, um, and, um, the black led casts, casted films and and products and TV and stuff. Um, that's going to be my focus for all of black history month. But, um, I think next week I have been putting off watching this particular movie, the nanny, um, on, uh, Amazon prime, but I think I'm going to watch it and I'm going to talk about it. Okay. So next week, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you for sharing this with anybody that you think might dig it. Thanks. 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 Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Do something fun for yourself. Stay healthy. Stay well until next time. Take care.